Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demond, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demodcast. Make sure you go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Find Demond Does the Six Questions. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a review, whether it says Mission Accomplished or I have. I always feel like somebody's watching me, and I have no privacy. Oh, oh. doesn't matter what you leave. That, but what that does is help drive us up the rankings, so more people can see us. Thank you very much. And now to the guest, to our honored guest. Our guest today is Gilbert Corsi. Gilbert is an Emmy Award-winning news anchor and reporter for WDRB news here in Louisville, Kentucky, and a personal friend of mine. And guess what? That is his side hustle. You want to find out more in three, two, one. Take it away past me. I am here live in location with Gilbert Corsi, WDRB news anchor. Thank you so much. Thank you. The personally, the coolest part about your story is the fact that you are a, an award-winning journalist but it's kind of your side hustle because you want to be a professional wrestling announcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So That's I, not something you hear very often. News, even. news by day, wrestling by night. That's the way it goes. I, 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 I think that's the, to me that is the coolest thing. But I can say that, you know, uh, professional wrestling, what some folks uh, call sports entertainment, it has been the greatest gift to um, my broadcast journalism career um, because there are dual skills that I don't think you realize exist until you flex both muscles using both veins. So many days I go literally from off the set on the news at four to into the arena, wrestling arena, and and uh, on to broadcasting for right. professional wrestling. And I always wanted to be a professional wrestling broadcaster. I distinctly remember eight years old getting immersed in what was going on in wrestling around the time. <clears throat> this time it was Hogan's first retirement storyline and Macho and Elizabeth, oh, WrestleMania okay, so right. eight. eight. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. So, um, and I remember like the lead up to it, but this is back in the days when you had four pay per views a year and you had to wait like three or four months for that pay per view if you didn't get it to come out on right, VHS, right. Coliseum Home Video, and then go stock your local video stores to figure out which one got it, right? Yes. So I remember being eight in the lead. I, I, I didn't know when wrestling came on. I'm a loose wrestling fan at that point in time, right? Like, mm. so my brother watched wrestling. I have faint memories of like just being in the room when wrestling was on, but not really understanding what was going on. Okay. So my first, my first like memory and storyline is all the lead up for WrestleMania 8. I was watching, and, uh, and then probably about three or four months later, I'll tell you exactly, it goes back to my brother, because he got grounded. And so <laughs> he, he, was, uh, he got grounded because he got bad grades, and so he spent the entire summer in my room playing Monopoly. What he really was doing was monopolizing my television. And so we spent a lot of time, I remember, playing Monopoly and watching the Summer Olympics. And, you know, VHS tapes and things that had come out. So I rented WrestleMania 8 because I saw it at the video store one weekend. And I remembered the lead up, but not really knowing how it turned out because I'm not, I didn't know Primetime came on Mondays at night. I didn't know um, Superstars was syndicated on Saturday afternoons. I would just watch wrestling when I came across it, right? 
And so I watched the pay-per-view and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> and then I remember talking to my dad and being like, well, what's his job? And his was like, uh, Brian Gumbel, Bob Costas, he was because these were the people who were running like the NBC Sports Desk for the okay. Olympics. Yeah, and they were like, "Oh, they're, they're sports broadcasters," <clears throat> and I was like, "Wait, somebody gets paid to watch sports and then talk about it? That's a job?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm gonna do this for wrestling, <laughs> and it's gonna be amazing." And my mind never changed. Um, as an adult, I can see why wrestling appealed to me because it was the perfect synergy of things that I enjoyed. So I liked sports, I liked athleticism, I liked competing, but then I also had this artsy-fartsy part to myself, right, where I was super creative. I was always involved in choir and theater as a child, right? So it was the perfect blend of the artistic side of me mm -hmm. with the athletic side of me. Interesting. Uh, so if you're not going to wrestle, what I knew is that I didn't like pain. And so... That's fair. If you're not going to wrestle, the way to uh, be a broadcaster in wrestling, I found, was to go through the news track. Because uh, I don't know if you know how many... Michael Cole used to work for CBS Radio. Uh, Sean Mooney mm. was in, in news, got, went to wrestling, went back to news. Jonathan Coachman started in news, went right. to wrestling, went on to ESPN. Todd Grisham... Uh, Gene Okerlin came from news radio. Right. Lee Marshall came from news radio. So um, I, I knew that if I, I wanted to be a broadcaster, it seemed to be that the uh, news track was the was the way to go. So when I was coming out of college, we were just out of the Attitude Era, and people were like, "Oh God!" I mean, it was Jerry Springer and professional wrestling. They were looked at about on the same level, mm. right? So there was no credibility in doing professional wrestling news at the same time. They were like, "No, we don't want any of it," right? <laughs> right? So I spent like the first. I had worked for Portland Wrestling in college, my senior year of college. Uh, I was driving back and forth. How far was the drive? Six hours. Six hours, tape television once a month. I get up at six in the morning to get there by noon. That was the call time. Do all your pre-tapes and stuff like that before between noon and three. Doors open at five. Straight tape. They're usually done by nine. And after the, <laughs> after the shows, um, all the boys would go to Acropolis, which is a, what they like to call a steakhouse that has naked women. <laughs> Not a strip club, a steakhouse <laughs> that has naked women. That's a very, that's an interesting distinction. Right, right? They wouldn't go to the strip club, they'd go to the steakhouse. They'd have, they have naked women. That has naked women. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Right, so, um, and you know the way that wrestling works, and so you just want to, you want to fit in with the locker room, with the boys, right? You want to be ingrained in the fraternity. And I remember I was in a fraternity in college, right? So I, I was familiar how this went, right? I'm the out-of-towner. I'm coming in from six hours away. I know nobody in the locker room. Yeah. Um, and I would go to Acropolis I'd just just to, like, be seen and to see. I was, don't judge me, I was 20. <laughs> I said nothing. I said nothing. Um, and, uh, but here's the deal. I would have to drive. Um, so uh, WSU was in far southeastern Washington, Washington State University. Mm -hmm. um, Portland is below Seattle, right? So 
Um, my parents, I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle, mm -hmm. so I would get up at 6 in the morning, drive to the show, call time by noon, because that was the district distance from Pullman, Washington to Portland, Oregon, do the show, go to Acropolis afterwards, then leave probably about 1 or 2 in the morning and drive back to my parents' house in the suburbs of Seattle, three hours. Um, Sleep in my bed for about three hours, so about seven, and then seven o'clock in the morning, get up and drive back to Pullman, Washington, which was four and a half hours from my parents' house. Yeah, yeah, and I did that for my senior year of college, yeah, and for the most of the year for free. The the first time the promoter paid me, <laughs> I feel I think it was a combination of. Well, kids, you've been coming here for nine months. You haven't missed. Uh, you just, it was the, <laughs> the taping after I graduated college and my birthday <laughs> all in one. So I don't know why he gave me that 50 bucks, but I was like, yeah, my birthday in wrestling. <laughs> you were finally, and yes. you became a professional. Yes, right? Yes. At that point in time. And then, uh, like, three days later, I packed my bags after I graduated, because I had just graduated, and moved across the country to go try and work for the WWE. Actually, I've already, we've already answered question number one. So tell me about your time with Impact. Uh, I've had some opportunities on many different occasions to okay. work with Impact. Okay. Um, the, I think it was Bound for Glory 2013, 2014, you, you have to like, go back and look. I, I don't remember the exact year. Um, OVW and Impact was Impact's developmental at the time. Mm -hmm. Al was our executive producer and uh, John Gaborik was VP of Talent and Television. Okay. Um, his, my, I may be wrong on his, on his title, but uh, Gaborik was there. Uh, Bischoff was still involved. Okay. Hulk was still involved. And so as, this is legitimately the way it went down. Um, impacted a set of tapings. This is remember the way they were they were, had left the impact zone in Florida and they were doing television across the country at different venues. Mm -hmm. And they would tape do one live and then they tape one after. Mm -hmm. um, and so they did that in Louisville. And I bumped into and uh, and, and OVW was Impact's development all the time. So our whole locker room is backstage. Um, and I just bumped into Eric Bischoff. And I, and I will wholeheartedly say I was not looking him, searching him out or anything like that. I bumped into Eric Bischoff. I saw him backstage. I, I shook his hand and I let him, I was like, hi, I'm Gilbert. My name's Gilbert Corsi. I'm a, he's like, oh, what do you do? I'm, I said, I'm a broadcaster. I had literally come from work, so I'm still wearing a, a suit and tie. I was like, I'm a broadcaster. And I've worked in uh, four media markets in the last, at that point in time, let's see here, 13. So we're talking about seven, eight years into my career at that point in time. Um, I've worked in four media markets over the last seven years. I'm the broadcaster for, lead broadcaster for your developmental OVW. It's like, do you have a reel? And uh, I was like, not on me, but I can certainly get you one in the next right. you know, couple of days. So I cut together a reel. Um, and that's how unprepared I am. Like, <laughs> this, is what, this is what people are walking around with like their stuff on a thumb drive or walking around with their reels on, on DVD and stuff like that or have links that they can shoot off right away. Like, I was like, oh, let me go put something together, right? <laughs> um, and so I sent it off, and, and then transitions started happening with Impact, and Hulk and Eric were going away, and, you know, I didn't think anything else of it, right? Yeah. And then John, one day, Gabor, big, was at, at OVW, 
um, one week, and he pulled me to the side and said, "Hey, um, got your stuff, and we'd like to we'd like to start using you." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "Yes, please." And now here's the thing that that really got me. Big was working for the WWE. Oh. Remember, right? He was like a producer on Tough Enough, and mm -hmm. he was he was in television with WWE. He said, "I knew you then." But we thought that this news thing was what you wanted to do, and this was just like a side hustle. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right? Wow. I was like, no, that's, that's absolutely not the case, right? They wound up flying me to Bound for Glory in San Diego, they, whatever year San Diego was, 2013, 2014. I don't remember off the top of my head. I'm so sorry. I didn't know what I was going to be doing that weekend. I wound up doing some interviews on the pre-show that was on Spike, and then an interview with the Bromans after, or during, after they won the tag team titles on the pay-per-view. They were, Big was like, we'll be talking, we'll be calling you again. They did, within two weeks, they were doing a, a set of tapings in Cincinnati. And this time, here's a story I won't forget. It's when Big says, go tell Tanae that you're gonna call Explosion tonight. And I was like, what? <laughs> this is where you wish you had television and you could see my face right now. Because oh, my face right now is the same as it was then. Yeah, um, because was, let's yeah. just be candid. Lots of times other, you think it's like, there are few broadcasting spots to be had. And I did not know what was going on behind the scenes. I think behind the scenes at Impact at the time, there was, uh, it was known that they were looking to add a third person. Because Todd Kinley had already come in and gone out. Mm. Right? Um, it was either looking, they were looking to add a third or to uh, move on from Mike Tanay, which I don't understand because I mean, why are these? I mean, that's a legendary voice. Right. Like, and they, the reason that they call him the professor, why would you? I never wanted to take anybody's spot. I wanted to sit underneath the learning tree right. and, and hang out and be mentored by you until you decide that you're ready to hang it up. Right? Right. Um, and so, but that's not the way announcers feel when they see another broadcaster, particularly another a, a young broadcaster. Sure. Uh, um, so uh, I remember talking to Jeremy Borash about it because it, Borash and and um, Mike Tanay did Explosion. And for those who don't know, Explosion was like the B show, internationally syndicated show of Impact. I tell JB that Big has asked me to go tell uh, Mike Tanay <laughs> that um, I'm going to call Explosion. And JB, to his credit, was like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> Why don't you let me take care of that? And that was the, the, the end of it. We, JB, uh, Jeremy Borash, we talked a little bit before. Like, it wasn't even long. It was like 10 minutes, not five minutes. Mm -hmm. And then we went out there and we, we did our thing. Um, so I called a couple episodes or a couple weeks worth of explosions. And then Big was like, I like it. We'll be, uh, you'll hear from us soon. Then on New Year's Day, he sent me a text message out of the blue saying, uh, we've got Big's plans for you this year. Happy New Year. You'll be hearing from us. And that's the last time I heard from him. Wow. So what happened a couple weeks later? Josh Matthews was... I'm released. I'm not sure if he was released or quit. Bottom line is he was no longer with the WWE, and within days he was with Impact. That's wrestling. You know, sure. if you know anything about wrestling, right? That's don't creative and a direction can change until until you are in the middle of the ring and it's happening. 
<laughs> than, you, you than expect it to change. That's why I tell talent all the time, right? It's creative. And the, uh, like the eraser is real. And so until you are in the middle of the ring and it is actually happening, be prepared for it to change. Right. Be prepared, uh, be prepared for anything. Just, um, yeah. Be overprepared. Uh, and so a couple of years later, I had an opportunity to be a part of the final deletion thing. Mm, mm-hmm. Whatever chapter of that it was, uh, James Long, who's a paradise in OVW, he's a producer for um, Impact uh, for several years, and now he works for the WWE. He's a very good friend of mine, good, good, good guy, right? Um, and they needed somebody to play a news anchor in their fictional final deletion world, right? So, yes. Um, that was cool. I was brought back, and I got to do got to do some spots there. It was the I, it was sometime in December of some year. I think sixteen, seventeen. I'm really not sure, but the opening voice on Impact was myself at the this fictional anchor desk, um, talking about the world ending unless the Hardys save it. Right? Oh my gosh, right. that's insane! I love it. Yeah, and then. Impact and OVW came back together as a developmental territory this last year, and uh, it was called an, a joint event called Clash at the Bluegrass with Josh and Cyrus. Um, well, it's not Cyrus anymore, right? Don Callis. Yeah. Don Don Callis, right? I'm showing my age. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's there's a relationship there, and I've had the opportunity and been fortunate enough to work with them on a, a handful of occasions. I it was. There was a time in 2013, 2014, where I really thought that uh, I would be more used as a regular broadcaster. Sure. Um, but it, again, it's I've seen enough in wrestling to know anything can change at any point in time. And again, I am so fortunate and blessed in my in my news career. I what was really interesting was because I was in this silly world of professional wrestling, I was hyper sensitive about being as great as I could possibly be and striving to be better than my peers in news because I didn't want anybody to look at me. I can't have somebody look at me doing the four o'clock news or when I'm talking about death, doom, destruction, you know, like we're taping this right after the presidential um, impeachment trial ended. When that trial ended and they said not guilty, they came, you dropped into the news at four and it was Gilbert Corsi and Elizabeth Woolsey on the anchor desk. I cannot have my viewers look at me when I am sharing what is worldwide important information and not believe what I'm saying because I work in this world of professional wrestling so right. I have to scream excellence from the rooftop in news to continue to work in professional wrestling I've been fortunate to win a, a number of awards and for, for broadcasting right right but it's uh, so many of them came out of wrestling it was a story that started because I heard about it from a fan in wrestling, or it was on a wrestler that had an interesting other life, or just uh, one, of, one of the, Matt Capitelli, you know, his, his second round with cancer was yeah. so tragic, right? And, but um, he, I wanted to share his journey and what he was up against, and he really opened up his doctor's appointments and his home and his heart. Um, and I, so I, I did a story with him, and. It was on my compilation in 2018 that won an Emmy for Best Reporter in our in our region, right? So that came out of wrestling. Um, uh, there was a story I did early on when I got here on Michael Hayes, who was a uh, soldier who survived an IED explosion that killed several other people in Ramadi. 
burns over half his body, lost his leg. And that was part of a compilation, so it was one of three, three pieces that won an Emmy for Best Writer, right? There, even the people at our concession stand in our ticket booth, Kim mm -hmm. and Mark Schneider, right? Mm -hmm. She was donating a, a kidney to him because uh, he was in kidney failure. Wow. So we called that story The Vow, and because I knew them from wrestling, they opened up the operating room to me. I got to, to interview the surgeon as he's taking Mark's dead kidney out and followed the kidney into the other operating room to what? when they pulled it out of Kim, right? So we called that story The Vow. Um, that wanted, uh, won some trophies as well. So, I mean, wow. all, of those, all of those came out of, came out of wrestling. That's insane. Right? So I also say that wrestling's been a gift because it's <laughs> extemporaneous speaking, right? Right. You're not, I don't have a script, right? I'm reacting to what is happening in front of me, and I'm organizing. Say that again. Say that again. There are going to be wrestling fans listening to this. Say that again. I don't have a script. I am reacting to what is happening in front of me. That is what is supposed to happen right. in wrestling, period, mm. not performance. Soapbox done. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, but that, you have to flex a muscle where you can organize thoughts in your brain, right? You can organize, really, I also, I say, I call it producing this, the booth when you're the lead man. Because mm. whether you got two or three commentators there, it's not about what you're saying. It's what you're lobbying up for the next person to say so that other person will say this so you can really come back around to get to the point that you want to get to. Wow. Because it's like you're in wrestling, you speak in sound bites, right? Right. But sometimes commentary is the yes and game. So you may have 24 to 30 seconds worth of stuff that you need to get out, right? So you got to lob up your, your color guy and your analyst or whoever's at the desk with you so that they will go with you so you can keep those sound bites short. Interesting. It's, yeah, I call it producing the booth. It makes be, a lot of sense. To be, to be one, step, one step ahead. Not about what you're doing. It's about where you're going next and next after that. This, that, and there. When I teach it in class, I tell it this, that, and there. So many times talent get caught up in this. This is stupid. I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like this. But if you are producing the whole kit and caboodle, you're not worried about this. Sometimes you're doing this because that needs to happen because ultimately you got to get to there, Right? When you are thinking about the big picture, you're trying to get there. Don't get stuck in this. Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you had first started out? In news, I wish I knew how to do my job. I was a terrible reporter, and don't even put me on the anchor desk when I first started. I was terrible at my job because I ultimately wanted to be a wrestling guy, right? So I had to, like, my, the job I got was in, was in news. So I had to learn to be a... A reporter, I had to learn how to dress for 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 news. Like it was my my voice, and my voice isn't deep now. But imagine like six octaves higher. I still have the first live shot I ever did. I'm like, well, Wayne, <laughs> <laughs> police say, wow, the suspect, right? Like it's bad. Somebody hired me for potential, certainly not talent. So I had to learn how to do this job. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And in in wrestling. Real quick, were you, did you feel you were prepared, like you were, your schooling prepared you? Or like, why did you feel unprepared? Example, Broadcast 465 is the last broadcast class when I went to WSU that you took, right? That's when you actually did the news. The expectation for that full semester was to do eight 
packages in 16 weeks. I did seven packages in my first week, my first week in a real newsroom. Wow. Right? So there is nothing in college that prepares you to do this job for real. Right? Hmm. And I, look, my very first day in Abilene, Texas, a transformer blew up on a utility employee who was, oh. who was trying to repair it. And they were, all the other reporters were out, and it came across the scanner, and they were like, you, go. And I was like, me? <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't even know where to start, right? I mean, I have no idea even where to start at that point in time in my career, right? Wow. Fortunately, I worked in a newsroom in a very small market that had some great, what I call institutional knowledge, photographers who had been shooting for 20, 30 years in that small market. So they knew everything about this small town and they had worked with more small market, fresh out of college reporters and trained them mm. than, than they could care to remember. And I was taken care of by good, good journalists, good visual storytellers. What do I wish I had learned? What do I wish I'd known in, in professional wrestling? I don't want to call it like locker room etiquette because I'm, I'm, you know, I know to shake everybody's hand and um, stay out of the way but be visible and right, <laughs> right like that, the, the navigate those waters. I didn't know because I didn't get, I didn't have any, like in wrestling you have if you're a wrestling talent, you've got a whole bunch of wrestling talent pouring into you, like this is how it goes when you go on the road and you work somewhere else. If you're a broadcasting talent, I didn't have that. Dean Hill was a great mentor, but he didn't tell me what to do when I got backstage at Impact. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Nor did Kenny Bolin. I mean, those were my broadcast partners at the time. Yeah. So, or even first off, before that, I had, I had uh, worked with ROH and Ke Kevin Kelly before that. Announcers just inherently... I'm not like this. I'm so welcoming to other broadcasters that come into OVW because I'm like, again, it's just OVW and it's just, it's just it's like, it's just OVW. Like, let's, I'm not, this isn't my, when, the difference is when you go work with one of those national promotions, that's their paycheck. Right. Right? Somebody comes into OVW, they're not affecting my paycheck. They're not affecting my livelihood. Right? So when you go into another, when you go into a national promotion, they're like, what are you doing here? They're not going to create another spot. Are you coming to take mine? Right. That is inherently the tension that is there. Yeah. Um, even and even when it's so non-existent, because I'm like, again, I just want to sit under the learning tree, and take these best take these best practices that I can use to grow myself. You can do. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I'm not in this world where it has to be one or the other. There can be room for both of us in the end. Right. There's room for both of us in the end. So I wish that somebody, plain and simply, direct answer. I wish somebody would have told me that if you're, <laughs> sometimes other broadcasters won't talk to you. And wrestlers, they do it to each other too. We'll call it in the ring. They don't tell you anything until you go out to the ring because they want to see what your natural instincts are. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. So I remember like when, when I went to work with uh, ROH, this is like 2011, 2012, maybe 2012, I think. Uh, same thing. Um, I had two matches to call, I think. And Kevin Kelly, I kept trying to get with him beforehand. He'd be like, no, 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 in a minute, in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. Until he kept in a, in a minuting me until the next thing we were, we were going. <laughs> we, were, we were calling it. I had the same experience with Josh as well, Josh Matthews. When we did the Clash of the Bluegrass event, 
Uh, the difference was I was a much more seasoned broadcaster at that point in time, right? Mm -hmm. So when I worked with Kevin Kelly, I was a year maybe into weekly wrestling at, mm -hmm. at OVW, right? Okay. Um, it's a terrible call. <laughs> yeah, I was not good at any means whatsoever. I, and when I was Clash of the Bluegrass, I just wanted to know what... I, I, it was an impact pay-per-view, right? So I'm saying, hey, J Josh and, and uh, Don, like this is your show. I'm so glad to just have the opportunity to learn from you and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. um, what role do you want me to play at the, at the commentator, uh, commentary table? Do you want me to quarterback? Do you want me to play, be the play-by-play, -play, the lead guy, producing the booth and lobbying you up? Do you want me to be the analyst? Obviously, Don's going to be color. I mean, ultimately, in having both myself and Josh Matthews there, you have two... Two cooks, right? Two, um, and you can't have that many cooks in the kitchen sometimes. But I was completely prepared to be like, okay, even though this is in Davis Arena and this is half OVW's roster on this card, this is, I, I am, you are at my booth and I am saying, whatever you want me to do, I can do it. Just right. let me know. Right. Never said anything, never said anything, never said anything. I'll get with you in a minute, I'll get with you in a minute, I'll get with you in a minute. And then right before we go through the curtain, he's like, why don't you do play by play tonight? But that's that's just something I guess broadcasters do to each other. I was surprised by it. I wish so. I wish somebody would have told me that. I wish I would have. I wish I would have known that. That's a uh, a thing that they do because they want to see what you're like on your toes. As you can tell, Gilbert and I had such a great time talking that the interview has to be split up in two. So we'll see you in two weeks for the conclusion with Gilbert Corsi. But before you go, please remember, go to that purple icon for Apple Podcasts. Go to that green icon for Spotify or whatever the color of the icon is for whatever podcast user you use. And make sure you log in, put a five-star review, make sure you leave something in the review. It could say, we will, we will rock you. Doesn't matter really what it says. It just helps us get seen by more people so we can keep rising and growing the, growing the, what am I calling this now? Growing the show. That's it. Anyway, until next time, again, we're going to see you in two weeks with Gilbert Corsi. Part two, we're going to see you in two weeks. In two weeks, we're going to have Gilbert Corsi back on, back on the show. So until then, until then, until next time, until whenever you re listen to this, until tomorrow, until the next day, hopefully you're staying safe. Please, please, by all means, see it, hear it, speak it, live. I hope you had a great day, everyone.